Um, but before I get into the message, let me tell you a story. I uh, recently acquired, I'm just going to pull this back a bit because I feel like I'm on top of you. Is that, it's easier for me to turn now. That's a little bit, little bit better. I uh, recently acquired a brand new pair of headphones. Uh, the ones that, has anyone got an iPhone? We got I, we're iPhone users here? Yeah, good. But my iPhone, it's not one of those new ones with the fancy AirPods. So I had this cable running down my body the whole time I was at the gym. And it was getting really annoying. And so I said, I'm going to buy these nice headphones. So I went to Bose and I bought these brand new headphones. And they're fantastic, great sound quality. The wireless range is brilliant. So I can leave my phone away somewhere else and then go do my exercise. And then, uh, you know, you're able to actually block out all the other sounds of the gym. Oh, the music they play, there's rubbish. Anyway, not the point. But, I got these brand new headphones and I was super excited to try out my headphones, right? These brand new headphones that I was going to take to the gym. And uh, what happened was when I got to the gym, I plugged in my headphones and my phone died. Now, it's not a really uh, beneficial investment to have these brand new headphones and then have the source... The, the message that's coming across, the phone dying. And so that, intro, that, that whole session, I had to listen to the gym music. It was shocking. But the point of the story is we actually need to pay attention where our sounds, our messages, the words that are impacting our lives are actually coming from. And that's what this reading that Merla just read to us this morning was saying. It was saying, listen to God. It actually mentions your ears there in the first verse. If Josh brings up that first verse for us, it says, not that one, Josh, back to the Proverbs one. Thanks, buddy. Turn your ears to wisdom. We often read about the heart and being open to God. But this in particular is saying, turn your ears to wisdom. The messages and the words that are spoken into your life impact everything that comes. And the writer of this proverb is saying we need to treasure and pursue the words of God so much so that like we were chasing after silver or gold. In fact, actually more than that. And then he goes on to say because it's the best gift that anyone can have in his life. Now, this, this sermon actually comes out of a series that we're doing. The series is called Spiritual Battles in a Physical World. You can see that on the graphic there. Spiritual battles in our physical world. What we're doing is we're looking at this idea that actually we live in a very physical world, but what's taught to us is there's this other realm, this idea of another sort of like uh, world that's impacting our physical one. That's why we come to baptism, so that we can give our, our, our spirit and say we want to pursue after Jesus. And so this idea that we, we're not only living in this world, but our spirits are in this battle. And so we're, we're taking on some taboo words like saying the devil, you know, and we're taking on some, some weird ideas like these spiritual things and we're looking at and naming what are these spiritual battles that we're facing in our physical world. And last week Simon shared actually about what it means to test God, to test his word for our life and then to trust it. It's a great sermon. They're all on podcasts. Sneaky shout out right there. But if you want to hear it, it's, he, t- he talked about testing and trusting God. 
And he talked about, and this week what we're talking about is actually hearing the messages. What message is coming across to us and the voices. Because the voices start this spiritual battle. Has anyone, has anyone heard of this screw tape letters book? No. Nah. It's a C.S. Lewis book. You know C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote Narnia? He wrote more than just that book. But he writes this book called Screwtape Letters. And what it is, it's fascinating. It's this idea of a demon writing to an apprentice demon about how to make our lives hell. And one of the main ways that he focuses in that book is the manipulation of the messages that we hear. Right? And so what it does is he, he actually starts taking some of these ideas and concepts and truths and then manipulates them so that we go off the track of pursuing Jesus. So this morning, what we're going to do, there's this really cool story that we're going to look at. It's called Balaam and the Talking Donkey. Don't want to get you excited to think that a donkey could talk. But we're going to look at this story, and, and what I want to identify is actually the different voices and the messages that this guy called Balaam has to interpret and the one that he chooses to listen to, right? So we're going to start, and we're going to start in verse 5, because the first bit's, it's just a lineage, really. It explains who the guy is. So we don't need that as such for this, this sermon. Let me tell you what, uh, from verse 5. So Balak, king of Moab, sent messengers to call Balaam, son of Beor, who was living in his native land of Pethor. So it's setting the scene, right? Near the Euphrates River. His message said, Look, a vast horde of people have arrived from Egypt. They cover the face of the earth and are threatening me. Now let me pause there for a second. Let me set the scene, because that's what this verse is doing. The, the Israelites, we know who the Israelites are? The Israelites are God's chosen people, okay? They're, this is the Old Testament, so it's God's chosen people at that time. And what's happened is they've come out of slavery in Egypt, like it says there, and they've wandered around in the desert for about 40 years. And so they've finally been told by God, you've learnt your lesson, you can come into the promised land. Right? And so now these people have to go into the promised land, but the problem is all these other people haven't inhabited it. And God says you have to kick them out because they're going to get you worshipping false gods. They're going to corrupt the style of living that you're actually meant to live. And so what God says is you have to kick them out. Now what we've read here in the first verse that we've got is actually the king, one of the other kings, not the Israelites leader, one of the kings from a different from the land has observed them wiping out all these other, these other tribes and he's saying... Jeepers, I'm going to lose my rule here in a more polite way, probably. So we continue. What, what it says in verse 6? Please come and curse these people for me. This is him to, to the Balaam, the prophet. Because they are too powerful for me. Then perhaps I'll be able to conquer them and drive them from the land. I know that the blessings fall on any people you bless and curses fall on any people you curse. So the king Balak's messengers, who were elders of the tribes, Moab and Midian, sent out with lots of money to pay Balaam to place a curse upon Israel. They went to Balaam and delivered Balak, the king's message, to him. 
See, what's happening here is this prophet that knows that these are God's chosen people and these people have a blessing of God in their life has a message from an external source, in this case the king, saying, I want you to do something that's against God's will. That's what's been set up here. He's saying, I know that I'm going to get conquered. I need to think of something. So I'm going to use his own God against him. And I'm going to bribe him. I'm going to use the temptation, the thing he can't resist. There must have been word that he can't resist money and power. So he's gone with all these riches to him and said, I'll give you all this if you would go against what you have honoured yourself to. It begs a really important question. Who is the king in this story but of your life? Who is it that uses you, maybe, or that requires something of you all the time, even though that you know you'll be jeopardising your character? Who is it in your life that has selfish intentions and will lead you down the wrong path to further their cause? Who is it that's going to put a message to you that's in conflict of the message of God? See, this is, this is the, the start of a spiritual battle in our physical world. The message comes from somewhere and it's in conflict with what you know that God's leading you towards. And some of the biggest lies are ingrained in, in parts of truth. And that's why Simon's talk last week was so important about testing the, call, the message that's come to you. Sometimes it's testing the message of God and then it comes through and you trust it. But then other times you test the message and actually it doesn't align with what Scripture says, Scripture being the Bible, and it doesn't, and it doesn't actually align with the character of God. So you have to say, no, that's not actually what I'm about. Sometimes truth is ingrained in some of the deepest lies. The voices of misdirection and sidetracking, such as the one we're reading here in the story of Balaam, never have your best interest in mind. These spiritual battles always seek to honour something or someone else. And this is the ultimate uh, difference between God's intentions and the devil's intentions. God's intentions always has your best interest at heart. See, God loves you purely and he wants you to actually live a life fully just in joy, in peace, in love. It's plans to prosper us and to give us a better life. It's a, time, it's a plan to give us a life filled. But the opposite, the opposition come in and say, well, this sounds really pleasant now, but maybe in three years that's going to get you down in some serious trouble. It's not going to help you out in the long run. Who is the king in your life? Which voice do you need to, if it's there, start ignoring, taking it to God? If we keep reading, we go, we're going to skip to 21 because what happens is the story of Balaam is, he says no initially. He says, look, I'm going to go talk to God and I'll let you know what God says I can do. And God says, no, these are my blessed people. I'm not going to let you go curse my blessed people. 
And so what he does, he says no. And, and then the, the Balak's messengers go back to the king and they say he doesn't want to come. And so the king goes, all right, we'll give him more money. We'll give him more power. And so what happens then is he goes back and Balaam says, oh God, this is a great deal. You know, will you let me go? And uh, so God says, you can go, but only use the words I say. Right? This is what's, what's said. And so this brings us to a journey that takes place. And we, we're currently sitting on the back of a donkey and we're traveling to the region where King Balak rules. Right? So verse 21 says, So the next morning, Balaam got, got up, saddled his donkey and started off with the Moab officials but God was angry that Balaam was going so he sent the angel of the Lord to stand in the road and to block his way as Balaam and two servants were riding along Balaam's donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the road with a drawn sword in his hand the donkey bolted off the road into a field but Balaam beated it and turned it back on the road then the angel of the Lord stood at a place where the road narrowed between two vineyard walls. When the donkey saw that the angel of the Lord, saw the angel of the Lord, it tried to squeeze by and crush Balaam's foot against the wall. So Balaam beat the donkey again. Then the angel of the Lord moved further, farther down the road and stood in a place too narrow for the donkey to get by at all. This time, when the donkey saw the angel, it lay down under Balaam in a fit of rage Balaam beat the animal again with his staff. Then the Lord gave the donkey the ability to speak. I'm not going to try and do a donkey voice. What have I done to you that deserves you beating me three times? It asked Balaam. You have made me a fool. Look like a fool, he shouted. If I had a sword with you, I would kill you. But I am the same donkey you have ridden all your life, the donkey answered. Have I ever done anything like this before? No, Balaam admitted. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the roadway with a drawn sword in his hand. Balaam bowed his head and fell face down on the ground before him. See, the donkey in this instance, if we're going to bring this into a modern day situation, into a story that's applicable because I don't have a pet donkey. No one else have a pet donkey? And... I doubt anyone's heard an animal talk for a while, so not to say God can't do it, but I don't think it's going to happen the same way twice. If we put that into our life, what the donkey represents is maybe parents, or maybe it's a sibling, maybe it's your closest friends, right? Your partner, even. See, the donkey, it's that person that goes through life with us. It's, it's the one that's fully committed with you the whole way and it will look after you no matter where you go, right? And these are the voices that we should hold dear to our hearts. See, it's not just that there's opposition voices. You know, in a battle, it's just not you versus a thousand, even though sometimes it feels like it. You've got an army with you. You know, and in this instance, the donkey is the one that you line up next to every time. The one you share your jokes with in a beer after the fight. You know, it's the one that actually comes alongside you in your hardest times and gets comforts you. 
These are the people that give you the words and a message when we come under pressure or there's a danger ahead and we may not be able to see it. Even though they may get hurt. Balaam beat the donkey three times. Yet it was still faithful after each beating. These people are super important to have in our, in our spiritual battles in this physical world. But there's something that's super important to note. These people are important, but their words and the message that they give aren't eternal. They cannot take the place of God. They, bring, they come alongside you, they encourage you and they push you along. They make you do better things, but they cannot ever take the place of God. Let's continue with the story. Straight on after that verse, it says, Why did you beat your donkey those three times? The angel of the Lord demanded. I've come to block your way because you are stubbornly resisting me. Three times the donkey saw me and, shielded away, and she shied away. Look at that. Otherwise, I would certainly have killed you by now and spared the donkey. Then Balaam confessed to the angel of the Lord, I've sinned. I didn't realize you were standing in the road to block my way. I will return home if you are against my going. But the angel of the Lord told Balaam, go with these men, but say only what I tell you to say. So Balaam went on with Balak's officials. There's another voice there. Who is your angel? And no, it's not the children, even though my mum told me that I was an angel when I slept. <laughs> See, the angel here is the person that doesn't just look out for you, but they keep you safe. They stand up and actually say something and bring you into alignment with God again. They bring you into alignment of a good life again. It's the person you go to when you, you share something that's happened and they say, well, yeah, that's not right. What are we going to do to rectify this? It's the person that stops you to keep on sliding down this slippery path when you're heading down the road you know you shouldn't be. It brings you back to the healthy path. Who is it in, life that actually, in your life that actually steps in in this time of need? Who delivers that word for you and helps you live a healthy life? Now, the reason we're skipping through different parts and not doing the full story, it's a couple of chapters long. So we're going to skip to the next part. It's in the next chapter. It's chapter 3 and we're going from verse 3 to 11. Then Balaam said to Balak, Balak was the king, remember? So they, what, what's happened is they've set up these offerings and... Uh, they've sacrificed them to God, being some bulls and some rams, and they're actually about to either give the curse or nothing. And Balaam's saying, I need to go talk to God. That's where we are now. Stand here by your burnt offerings, and I'll go to see if the Lord will respond to me. Then I'll tell you whatever he reveals to me. So Balaam went alone to the top of a bare hill, and God met him there. And Balaam said to him, I have prepared seven altars and have sacrificed a young bull and a ram on each altar. The Lord gave Balaam a message for King Balak. 
Then he said, Go back to Balak and give him my message. So Balaam returned and found the king standing beside his burnt offerings with all the officials of Moab. This was the message that Balaam delivered. Balak summoned me to come from Aram. The king of Moab brought me from the eastern hills. Come, he said, curse Jacob for me. Come and announce Israel's doom. But how can I curse those whom God has not cursed? And how can I condemn those who the Lord has not condemned? I see them from the clifftops. I watch them from the hills. And I see a people who live by themselves, set apart from other nations. Who can count Jacob's descendants as numerous as dust? Who can even a fourth of Israel's people? Let me die like a righteous. Let me, my life end like theirs. Then King Balak demanded of Balaam, What have you done to me? I brought you to curse my enemies. Instead, you have blessed them. In this case, Balaam actually heard God's voice. And he's really our chieftain in our, if we're thinking in the spiritual battle of our physical world. You know, he's our general. He's the one that, that has unlimited strategy if you would if we're thinking along those battle lines he's the one that knows which move to make if you're thinking chess games the thing is God's word doesn't change right from the start he said I'm going to bless these people and then all the way through this story it's like he Well, you know I don't change, so why are you expecting me to change now? Now you get to go, instead of delivering a curse, give a blessing. And that truth and that promise is the same for our life. The truths and the promises that God gives us remain there all the time. The love that he has for you, his child, doesn't change. The problem today is that maybe we've forgotten how to hear God's voice. Which is kind of crazy because it's not a secret. It's littered throughout the Bible. All these different figures that go and hear God. And often when you say that to when I'm talking in a group of friends, they say, Caleb, how do I hear something when I don't know what it sounds like? Well, for me, I find that God's voice sounds a lot like silence. That's my response. It sounds a lot like silence. Which makes it really hard, doesn't it? Now more than ever in life, we have the most noise to compete with if we're trying to find a silent voice. And God does, he wants your full attention. He doesn't want partial attention. So it makes sense. Let me, for example, have you ever been to a cafe with someone and all of a sudden they just start on their phone? How annoying is that? It's like, I'm halfway through a conversation, just let's finish it off at least. But what do you do when that happens? You you don't keep talking, you get on your phone and join them. You know? No, we don't. We we just, we wait. Because we want them to be fully attentive to what we have to say to them. You don't try and hold their attention while they're doing something else. 
It's the same principle when we're trying to hear from God. He wants our full attention if he's going to talk to us. So he waits patiently. He's still there. He's just waiting until you have full attention on God. I was thinking about it and and as I thought about it for this morning, I, I thought there's four aspects to hearing God, which maybe we can actually apply as principles to hearing God speak to us. Excuse me. The first one is actually start a conversation. God will talk to you first in instances. Don't get me wrong. He will say something. But if you want to be constantly hearing from God, start a conversation with him. You don't actually just have a friendship by not reaching out and talking to them all the time. I haven't messaged people for coffee once a week, then I'm doing something wrong with those friends. But hearing God's voice starts with an expectation that he can and will speak to us when we first speak to him. And, and the Bible reveals that God's a talker. From the start, Genesis, all the way through to the end of Revelation, we see him speaking to people about all sorts of topics all the way through from their personal fears and concerns to the rise and fall of nations. This desire for conversation shouldn't be surprising given God's heart for genuine relationship. So if we want to hear God's voice, it starts with understanding that there is God that loves us dearly And we just need to start by reaching out and talking to him. And it's as simple as that. Just say, God, I'm feeling bad today. And sit there and listen to what he has to say expectantly because he will respond. Which leads me to my second point. Once you've started a conversation, you actually have to hear the sound. And that's different for everyone. The sound may be silence for me which I really wish it was something else, like an audible voice or something, but it would be different for someone else. Wouldn't it be great just to sit down in a cafe with Jesus and have him talking to us? You know, just instant wisdom straight to you. That would be fantastic. But Jesus himself said that his spirit would be a better personal audience than he would. Jesus said that. He said someone's going to come and help us live our life and he recognises that it's going to be better. And the thing is, when we learn, when we start to listen and hear the sound, we start to recognise it. We start to recognise the kinds of things that God would say We start to recognise the kind of things and the kind of person that God is. Hearing is not a skill for those who've been a Christian for a long time, by the way. It's not about the length of time. I've reached my 30-year mark anniversary of my baptism and now I can finally hear from God. It's not like that. It's about the desire that you have to hear from God. And if you have the hunger, then you will hear the sound. There's a verse who says, those who have ears to hear, let them hear. 
It's about the position of your heart. Thirdly, once you hear the sound, you come to probably the hardest step, let's be honest, and it's recognising the voice. Because this is a spiritual battle. We're sitting in conflict and we're, we're hearing all these other voices. We come to this place. We said, God, I want to start a conversation and I'm going to listen for your sound. The opposition, the devil, however you want to put it, isn't going to sit there and throw, not throw messages at you. He's going to try and confuse it, conflict it. And this is where it comes in really tricky. We've got to learn to recognize God's voice among the others that we hear. And what makes it so hard is God's revelation, God's expression is perfect, but we aren't. The good thing is, Jesus said people would know his voice and recognize it, they would be able to follow. Excuse me. Every word we hear, vision we see, or feeling that we have does need to be tested. And that's what makes it so hard in this part. But that's why it's so important to have those donkeys alongside you, or even the angels alongside you in this part, because you're actually able to ask for help from them to actually test whether this is God's word. They may know whether it aligns with God's character better or what it says in the Bible about it. Finally, this is probably the most important part because you can do the other three, but if you don't do the last, then it's worthless. You actually have to respond in faith. Having a God conversation isn't just about getting the answer to our questions. God wants to help us in everyday stuff of life and his heart is to build relationship. And everything he says has the goal of drawing us closer to him. So when he speaks to make us more like him, to help us fulfill our purpose on earth and bring him the kingdom of love, joy and peace, means that this little point of hearing God's voice, if we are unwilling to respond, is useless. It's got to have action. A relationship only goes so far if only one party is committed to it, doesn't it? It's the same principle. So before I, before I step down and I, I end the sermon, I'd like to ask a question and then we'll give an opportunity too. <coughs> Excuse me. The, the question is, which voice or voices are you listening to in life? Is there that king that's inter- interrupting all the different voices? Is it that friend that's encouraging you the whole time? Is it the angel which is pulling you back? And is it God's? Which voice or voices are you listening to in life? And then what we're going to do, it's, we don't often do it here, but it's a really great opportunity, I feel like, after we hear this, there might be some people that are actually wanting right now to say, God, I want to hear your voice. So what we're going to do is we're, I'm going to ask you all to shut your eyes and we're going to pray. And it's not an out loud prayer, just pray it in your hearts. 
And uh, I'll, I'll lead a prayer. And what I'd like is, if you want to hear God's voice, pray this prayer along with me. So let's just all shut our eyes and uh, we'll pray together. God, this morning we, we reach out. We reach out with expectancy and with the faith that you will talk to us. Lord God, we believe you know each and every one of our circumstances and life where we're at it this morning. And this morning we just pray that you speak into our lives. Put on our hearts something that is feeling strong for us and talk into that situation. Lord God, convict us so heavily that this word is from you and give us the courage to talk and share with someone if, if we have this this morning. We thank you for your love. Amen.